0: Good morning everyone. If you're joining us on Zoom or in person, it's good to be with you. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the service that my mic was on while Travis was leading us and um, the sound tech, I won't use their name, but he is in the middle of this group in case you want to look around. We'd had a conversation at the beginning. He said he would mute me and I said, please don't let me sing aloud for everyone. You don't want that to happen. And he asked how bad it really was. And I said, I'm telling you, you don't want it to happen. And still, (laughs) still, anyway. I I find it interesting and a little bit funny to think about this, something about our passage, the the gospel passage that we just heard. Even though this story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water was well known in the early days of the Christian faith, this is a, a famous story. We don't have other Christian, stories of other Christians trying to walk on water, expecting to be able to do what Jesus and Peter did in this story. You know, in college, there was a, a Jewish guy around my dorm, and he knew that I was a Christian. And he would tease me saying, we could go fishing and walk on water together, as if this story was told so that followers of Jesus should all expect to be able to walk on water. Now, just imagine, go with me for a minute. I know it's absurd. Imagine the stories if lots of people had tried this. If instead of snake handling churches, there were walk on water churches. I I know this is silly. I know. But just, just one more thing. We have stories about Christians. Christians like the Apostle Paul who faced very similar dangerous situations, life-threatening situations at sea. But the solution in those circumstances was never for them to walk out on the water somehow. Here's the point I'm trying to make. This story of Jesus and Peter, it's told as a real story. Yes, absolutely, it happened. But it's also told as what's called an archetypal story, meaning it's an example of what happens for all followers of Jesus. It's the story of every Christian's life. It's saying to us, to Christians, now, this is what the life of faith is like for everyone who seeks to follow Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is show you three stages that this story gives us in the life of faith three stages. Um, you know, I'm committed to trying to preach very short sermons during the season because I, I know many families are here with children and trying to, you know, keep them in some state of sanity, including our family. Um, I, I've tried to make this as compact as possible, and, um, but there is a lot here that I'm going to also try to convey, so, so bear with me. These are three stages in the life of faith that are repeated over and over again in all of our lives if we seek to follow Jesus. Now, here's the first stage. We are sent by Jesus into a storm. This is part of the life of faith. We are sent by Jesus into a storm. Jesus makes the disciples get into a boat and leave ahead of him. And the language is that, of force. Jesus makes the disciples do this. He stays behind to pray, which is actually a little ironic in the story that while the disciples are in a life-threatening situation, he's quietly praying by himself. The disciples' boat, we're told, is being beaten by waves, and beaten doesn't even nearly convey the force of it. The word means harassed and tortured. The wind, we're told, is also against them. The sea and the wind are being personalized as if they have joined forces and together they are targeting the disciples and their boat. They are trying to destroy them. And this is exactly what the life of faith is like. We are sent into a storm, the storm of the world, the storm of our families, the storm of coronavirus and our modern moral and political chaos that we live in. It is not a stretch to say that there are forces allied against us, like the wind and the waves being allied against the disciples. There's a spiritual enemy who seeks to unravel our lives. And like the wind and the waves, he targets us using the weapons that we're most vulnerable to. Look, the disciples already feared the sea. They lived in a time when people speculated about genuine spiritual forces within the sea. And now they're utterly paralyzed with fear. Now, with us, the enemy uses other tools, but his goal is the same as it was with the disciples to terrify and undo us in fear or anger. Are we really surprised that our entire culture, our news sources, are so saturated with the emotions of anger and fear right now? Really? This is exactly what the enemy has ordered, and he targets Christians, not just the people on the other side. He targets us. So this is the first stage in the life of faith. Jesus sends his people into a storm, and here's what's worse about it. The disciples do not know where Jesus is. We're told that the boat began being beaten by the waves at evening time. Well, Jesus doesn't show up until the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, which means the disciples have battled the storm alone for hours by the time that Jesus arrives. Now, it's true that Yahweh and his son Jesus Christ, this God of the Bible, this triune God, he never leaves or forsakes his people. That's true. But it's also true that it can be difficult to find him when you're in the middle of a storm. You don't know where he is. And that only gets easier the more times you're in a storm with him. So this is the first stage in the life of faith. We are sent by Jesus into a storm and we don't always know where he is. Here's the second stage in the life of faith. Jesus comes out of the storm. He comes out of the storm. Imagine being on the sea with the disciples. It's pitch dark. The waves are crashing, thrashing around you. The wind is gusting. You can't move. And someone with light emanating around them begins walking towards you from out of the storm. Look, if you're Jewish, you're already afraid of the sea. You already halfway believe in a spiritual force within it. And now in a storm that seems to want to drown you, a figure walks out of the water towards you. What must that have felt like? You don't know who it is or what it is. Maybe the lore is all true. Maybe Poseidon does exist. And this figure walking towards you is going to seal your doom. The disciples are crying out like children at this point. They don't know who it is walking toward them. They're crushed by fear. And then, out of the storm and the darkness comes the familiar voice of Jesus. Notice this. It's not that they recognize his physical features. This is so important for Christians today. It is not that the disciples are calmed because they see him. They are calmed because they hear him. Here's what's important. Jesus could have come to them as an angel from heaven, staging some dramatic parting of the darkness. But that's that's not how he comes. He comes to comfort them out of the heart of the storm. He appears to them in the very place of their fear. This is what Jesus has to do to overcome our fears, He has to show himself to be present and more powerful than the things that we fear the most. And so as we look for Jesus in our storms, where are we to look? We have to look in the places that we most dread to look, the places that we are most fearful. That's where Jesus will show himself to be present with us. The first stage in the life of faith is that Jesus sends us into a storm. The second stage is that Jesus comes from the midst of the storm. Now, third, I'm going to combine several stages into one. Now, I used to be Baptist, and I should have learned to alliterate things to help you, you know, um, remember things. So I'm trying here. This is the best I can do. The third stage, stepping out, sinking, saved. All S's. You should remember this stepping out, sinking, saved. Jesus sends us into a storm. He appears from the midst of the storm, and then we step out, we sink, and we're saved. So Peter is a model of the recklessness that Jesus wants to see from all of us if we really want to be with Jesus. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water, Peter says. Now think about what the more practical disciples must have said to Peter in that moment. Peter, just wait for him to get into the boat. There's a storm going on. But Peter wants to be with Jesus. He wants to experience all the power available in being with Jesus. So if Jesus can walk on water, I want to walk on water. I want to be with him where he is, whatever that means. Jesus does not expect us to wait for him to initiate everything that we're going to do in our lives. Jesus has already done that. He's already done the initiation. Jesus is already coming to us and facing us. He's done that in the cross and in his resurrection. He is facing you. He's come towards you. But he also wants to see that you really want to be with him and that you want to follow him. What does James say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is he saying? Jesus has come toward us and now he expects us too to come toward him. So Peter, reckless with desire, steps out onto the water and he begins walking toward Jesus. Now Peter must have come very close to Jesus before it happened. Uh, Because Jesus is able to reach out to him when the time comes. So Peter must have walked a little ways toward him but his head starts to catch up with his heart. He notices the wind again and fear creeps back in and he begins to sink. Now, remember, this isn't a smooth swimming pool that Peter's in. He is in the middle of thrashing waves. He would have been lost in no time. So, he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, This is one of those moments when the Jesus our culture likes to portray is just merely meek and mild. In this moment, he flashes with an act of might. You know, when he spoke to the disciples out of the storm, he said, take heart, it is I. What that really says is, I am. He's claiming the name of Yahweh. And the Old Testament says that Yahweh, the God of Israel, makes a path in the sea. He even tramples on waves. Jesus is Yahweh in human flesh. He has the same power over the waves that Yahweh does, the same authority to walk on the sea, and the same power to save anyone who's drowning. So Jesus, in this moment, grasps hold of Peter and pulls him out from the waves. He saves him. And this, too, is part of the life of faith for every Christian. We step out over and over again in faith, Going toward Jesus. We sink over and over again. And we cry out. Lord save me. And he does it. Over and over again. Now think about it. What did Peter lose in this situation? Did he lose anything? I mean yeah. It had to hurt his pride. He made it a little ways. And then he sank. And then he had to get back into a boat. Where all these disciples have been watching. But in reality. Peter lost nothing he actually gained another opportunity to be saved by Jesus, to learn that Jesus really can save, that this is who Jesus always is to us. He's Savior. You know, there is no point in any of our lives when we no longer need Jesus in such a desperate way, To be a disciple of Jesus, to really know him, is to know him as our Savior and our Lord. It's to to always need his salvation, to be in a place of crying out to him and asking him for help. Now, after saving Peter, Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? Here's what we need to know about this. Jesus never asks this question of people from a distance. He never asks the question to scold people or to shun them. He asks it always after he's displayed a commitment to saving us and an ability to save us over and over and over again. He asks it each time so that we might learn in a deeper and more profound way that we have no reason to doubt him in any situation. Why did you doubt me? I will always save you. So after that, Jesus brings Peter with him into the boat. And what happens in that boat? The disciples all begin worshiping Jesus. Now remember, I said at the beginning, this story isn't just about Peter. It's the story of all of our lives, That boat suddenly becomes a church. It's the place that we come to after we have sunk over and over and over again. Jesus has saved us, and then we're brought back into a place of safety with Jesus where people join us in worshiping him for salvation. We're brought into the safety of Christ's church. So here's the life of faith. We are sent into a storm. We are sent by Jesus into a storm. We, in that storm, hear Jesus come to us, speaks to us out of the middle of the storm. And then he calls us to come out to him in faith. And each time, it's very likely that we begin to sink. And we have to call out to him over and over and over again. Lord, save me. And he does exactly that. And then he brings us back into the safety of the boat where we can be in the company of the redeemed and we can praise him as the son of God who has been faithful and has shown himself capable of saving, him, of saving us out of any circumstance. This is who we are as the church. The people who proclaim Christ as the savior and who say that we always need him to be this for us.